Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1. And while you're turning, I want to talk just for uh, a moment just to you ladies. And I realize you're probably the ones turning to Acts, but, uh, but let, me, let me speak to you anyway. Uh, Ralph mentioned that uh, Lynn Wheeler will be here next Saturday. And uh, I just want to remind you who she is. I haven't always used her name, but I've used her as illustrations ever since I've been here. Uh, she's going to speak to the women here next Saturday. She was our children's director in my previous church in Atlanta. And on Christmas morning, 2005, uh, she was on her way to church with her grown children and her grandchildren to worship. It was on Sunday that year, and uh, their car was hit head-on, and uh, she has since that time been a quadriplegic. Now, you may say, well, you know, that's pretty depressing. I don't, I don't believe I'd like to come and listen to someone talk about that. Uh, to hear Lynn Wheeler speak is anything but depressing. You will be lifted up. I hope every single woman in this church will be here and that you will bring many. Every, uh, that, that day changed, of course, Lynn and her husband and her family's life, but it changed our church and it changed me forever. And uh, just being around Lynn, who is uh, a real woman of faith, uh, has the potential to change you as well. I hope that you will be here. Uh, she won't be talking a lot, though, about herself because she is in love with her Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you will hear how he sustains in times like that. So I do hope if you weren't planning to come, you will change your plans and be here uh, next Saturday, you ladies. Uh, they are making the trip over and back just because it's a, a difficult thing uh, uh, for them even to travel, but uh, they're looking forward to this ministry as well. I know that for a fact. In Acts chapter 1, we began this series last week, and Jesus had said, that they ought not to depart from Jerusalem. We pick up with verse 6. So when they came together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for this precious account. of the empowerment of your people, that great promise of the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Will you today, Lord, teach us of that? Will you open our hearts? We look to you for this, asking you to help us focus for these moments even as today we've been singing of that one who is enthroned on high. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to start today really with that, uh, that first question that they ask there. You see in verse 6, so when they had come together... They asked him, now remember, he had appeared to them periodically for a number of weeks so far. They had had opportunity to interact with him, and so it would not be unusual for them to ask a question. I suspect that if they hadn't already asked this before, they could not wait to ask this question Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that sounds like an innocent question. But what they were asking for was a very human government and overtaking of the oppressive government that they were facing and, and they had asked about this before. Those that had followed Him had wondered this all along. When's He going to rise up? And of course, the religious people were afraid of that. So certainly that was something that was talked about a great deal. And by the way, I love that this question is here. If anything, this uh, speaks to the truth and veracity of the Scripture itself. Because here's the thing, if we were trying to put together an account to show that the followers of Christ were great men and women of faith, typically, you might want to take out of that account kind of silly questions. You know, questions that had been dealt with or that they should know better at this point. And this was really one of those. But it's included here. And whatever is included in Scripture is included for a reason. They still, after all this time, were thinking that Jesus uh, had some, was going to have some kind of an earthly or political kingdom and finally we would be able to set that up. You know, uh, at least one reason why this is here is for my encouragement. Let me tell you why. I have a book in my office. A big book was given to me when I 
uh, was ordained, and in it I write down various things that I do in ministry, baptisms, marriages, things like that. And I have every sermon that I have ever preached and where it was, and I'm somewhere over 1,900 sermons, uh, messages that I have preached in my ministry. And every once in a while... I have to admit, I get a little discouraged thinking, uh, I I don't think they're getting it. (laughs) You know, there'll be something that will just cause me to think, I I don't know. I don't think I'm getting through to anybody. And then, I look at here in Jesus' ministry, and those that were with Him, they didn't get it, and it says, okay, be patient, it's good, it's okay. Okay. It's the cumulative effect of truth week after week after week. Here we see his disciples struggling with that question. Now look at his answer, verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. You see, he didn't even rebuke them. But he just answers them in a corrective way. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And then this is the promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I preached on that passage, which was our theme verse for our mission conference uh, uh, not very long ago, and uh, we looked into that a couple of times in a, a more thorough way. But here we have the disciples hoping that Jesus would take over and display his authority, and Jesus saying, look, you want me to come in here with great power, here's the thing. You're going to be given power. And he uses the word dunamis. Dynamite. That's what you will have. And then I'm giving you a task to do. This is the plan. There's going to be a gospel power and it is going to indwell you. And so I won't just be in one location setting up a kingdom, but the kingdom is going to spread, and it's going to spread in this way, and here's how powerful it will be. He didn't say this, but he could have. Here's how powerful it will be. I am going to use weak and flawed men and women, and children, and old men, and old women, I'm going to use them to establish my kingdom. That doesn't show their power. It shows mine. And that's what He promised to them. I read this week that uh, Chuck Colson once said that Uh, Jacques Ellul's book, Political Illusion, was the most important political book he had ever read. Now, uh, that book's out of print, and I wouldn't recommend you take up Jacques Ellul for his theology, but 
the premise of that book was that uh, political power is an illusion, basically that, that politicians created and that the media has supported. And the illusion is this, that if you can achieve uh, political power and uh, get into the political process, here's the illusion, the person that has that power can control events and can change things and produce reformation in this world. And I don't want us to fall for that illusion because that illusion is still there. I don't know whether you've picked up on it or not, but next November we got a little election coming up. And on the 6th, we will elect or re-elect a president and senators, congressmen, representatives. And you know, some people are, are all bent out of shape over that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be praying about it. You should. But, but don't fall for the illusion that that's our great hope to get my guy in there or to keep my guy in there. Don't fall for that. Because here's our great hope. The one who is on the throne on the 5th of November is going to be on the throne on the 7th of November because the Lord God Almighty reigneth. That's our hope. Now, go out and vote for your guy and know that whoever gets in there, God's way more powerful. And if there will ever be reformation, if there will ever be change in lives and in our country, it's because of Him. That should be a comfort. To us. Now that brings us to what I've called the, the surprise strategy. And it's not a surprise because Jesus had never talked about this. In verse 9, it says, When he had said these things as they were looking on, uh, he was lifted up and a cloud uh, took him out of their sight. The surprise strategy was that he was leaving. Somebody sent me um, a list of things that you never hear in church. Like, um, hey, you, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. Now, you guys are much better here than a lot of churches. <laughs> or, uh, I was so interested, I never noticed your sermon went 25 minutes over time, you know. Um, I love it, Mark will love this, I love it when we sing hymns I've never heard before. <laughs> we don't always hear that. I... Um, since we're all here, let's start the service early. Um, well, the, you know, there are things you don't hear. Here's something that I don't think typically you would hear in the church. We'd be better off if Jesus weren't here. Now who, what Christian, would say that? But that's what Jesus said you'll be better off 
when I go away. The ascension, the ascension is better for the disciples. Look at what he said back in John 16, verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where, you are, where are you going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. In other words, he said, I'm, I'm going away, and they were grieving at that, at that point. Now here's his comfort. Here's what he's going to do to comfort them. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send Him to you. It's to your advantage. Some of your versions say it's, it's better for you if I go away. Now as I thought about that this week, I had to be honest that if I were the strategist, if I were making up a plan... That would not be the plan. If I had seen Jesus uh, risen from the dead, I would have said, okay, like the disciples, let's set it up. He's the king of the church after all. And we will worship him and we will enjoy him and uh, we'll, we'll be around him and so on. He said, no, that's not the plan and that's not the best way. Have you ever wished you could have been there? Well, you know what? You've got it better than them. Because you have got the precious Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in you wherever you go. You don't have to crowd up close to get to Jesus. You don't have to find out where He is or hope He appears where you are. He is indwelling in His children. And that's the strategy. Now, here's, uh, here's the ascension. And I, I ordinarily preach on this every year in May, the Sunday closest to 40 days after Easter. But, uh, and, and we'll see more of it when we as we go through the book of Acts. But here's, here's the basics of the ascension and why it's better. It's better because of where he is. His departing meant that he is exalted. That's what we've been singing about all morning. Uh, he is in heaven, Luke 24, 51. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven, Ephesians 1:20. that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He is seated there in that seat of power. Alexander Ross, I love this phrase. Alexander Ross said, the dust of the earth is on the throne of the majesty on high. Genesis 2-7, made from the dust of the earth. And it's seated on that throne. Now here's what it means. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. His reign has begun, will come into fullness in the future. Secondly, the ascension was better for them because Jesus was fulfilling his role, his role as judge. Acts 17, 
says, uh, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, here's what it, here's what it means, because you say, oh, I, why, why am I happy he's judged? Tell me, remind me why I'm happy he's judged. Here's why. Because the fact that he is there tells you this. All things will be made right someday. Nobody's getting away with anything. If you see what you perceive to be injustice, it will be made right. And the fact that He's on the throne proves it. Not only is He in His role as the judge, but fulfilling that Old Testament office of high priest. We see Jesus, Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. And this is, this is what applies to us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Fulfilling the, the office of the Old Testament high priest. Here's what you can know if you're in Christ. There is one that is in heaven that's on your side. On our side. And Jesus is praying for His people. I often have you folks ask me if I will pray for you. And by the way, if I say I will pray for you, I will. I don't take that lightly. And I know that, that many times it's just because you're trying to get everybody to pray for you, and, and sometimes it's because you, you think, well, let's, let's get the, the pastor to pray for us. Well, here's something way better. Way better. This tells us that Jesus is sitting next to the Father talking to Him about you. Is that good? Is that a good thing? Absolutely. He is praying. For us, He is interceding for us. And it's also better, I, I mentioned this earlier, that He ascended into heaven because now the Holy Spirit indwells in us. He said, uh, it's to your advantage, uh, for if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send Him to you. And we are going to see as we get into Acts about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's, that's different than it was when Jesus was walking the earth. Now, this passage, we'll say more about the ascension as we go through, because uh, we will see uh, what it meant to the disciples that He was sitting on that throne. But, there's another big promise here. And we can't miss this. Verse 10. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, remember he was taken up in a cloud. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now the disciples here had made two classic mistakes. The one we already addressed, and that is thinking that it's all about this life. And, uh, uh, you know, his kingdom should be earthly and it, it should be now. The second mistake we, we see here, it says they were gazing into heaven. Now, get the picture. There they are, talking to him. He's taking, taken up. And then it's like this. What would they have been thinking at that point? Well, they, they might have been thinking, he might come right back down for the last 40 days. He's shown up, he's disappeared, but then he's shown up again. And so they stood there thinking that would happen. And then the angels show up. They say, why, why are you looking up into heaven? Here's what you need to do. You got work to do. You need to look around. You've been given a task. And you've been empowered for that task. We'll see that in the, in the next couple of weeks. And so I want you to go and wait for that empowerment. But don't just stand here. Don't just enjoy this moment. And what does that say to us? You know, we have these, some wonderful moments of, of worship and so on, and that, that's a great thing. But this is... This is a part of the empowerment to go out. To go out. And so, either one of those misunderstandings, that it's all about right here and now, or it's all about then and we'll just wait until, I'll just bide my time till I, till I go to heaven. Either one of those is a mistake. Now let's get practical in terms of answering that question. Was it really better that Jesus went away? Let me tell you what happened after he went. In Acts 1, we'll see you have about uh, 120 in the upper room waiting for the Spirit. Now the population of uh, Jerusalem at that time was maybe 200, 250,000 people in other words, about 2,000 non-Christians for every one Christian you had there praying in that upper room. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then it began to happen. Peter preaches. 
about 3,000 come to Christ. Then you have about 25 Christians for each one that had been praying in the upper room. Acts 4. Opposition to the gospel comes. What happens? The church grows to 5,000. Acts 6. Believers are multiplied. Believers are being added in Acts 5 and then multiplied in 6. And then it goes on. The church grew rapidly. Enemies of the church said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You go on to fast forward to to Acts 21. It says, myriads of Jews were coming to Christ. Myriads means many thousands. Some think it, it means tens of thousands were coming to Christ. The historian Eusebius said this, Christianity spread so as to embrace the whole human race. All of that happened after Jesus ascended. And here's the really good news. The story's not over. That same spirit, that same calling is upon us. Now, I want us to go back. I told you last week that Luke and Acts were uh, the two books that Luke was talking about. At the end of Luke, it talks about this same scene. And it says this in Luke 24. It says it much simpler, less detail. It says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, verse uh, 50 of Luke 24. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see their reaction. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now early on, they grieved when he said that he would go away. What was it here? Why could they rejoice when they couldn't be next to him any longer. They were beginning to grasp what it meant that he ascended. They were beginning to see it. You know, I told you what what he is there. He is the, the judge. And there's only one way you can rejoice with him being the judge. And that's if you're in relationship with Christ. If you're trusting in in Him alone for your salvation. I have no doubt that there were people here that when I said He is sitting there as the judge, it caused terror to go into their hearts. And you know what? If you don't know Christ, that's the right reaction. But if you're in Christ, that's the great comfort. Because what Jesus did on the cross paid for our penalty for our sin. 
And so the one that sits as judge has paid for us. I mentioned Chuck Colson earlier. Many of you probably remember him. He was uh, implicated in the Watergate scandal. He went to prison for it. And then he came to Christ. A, A lot of people questioned whether he really had become a Christian. But many, many years and long years of ministry proved that it was real in his life. You see, he got out of prison and had come to Christ and he began a prison ministry which has led thousands to Christ all over this world. Some say Chuck Colson never left prison because of his heart for those there. Yesterday he went to be with the Lord. I had already had this quote from him uh, earlier in this message, and I, I saw earlier this week, as they thought he might pass out of this world into the next, his ministry put out a statement, and they said this, as Chuck would say, remain at your posts and do your duty for the glory of God and His kingdom. Remain at your post and do your duty for the glory of God and His kingdom. And that's our call until He returns. Let's bow together. Lord, will You enable us to take comfort where it's appropriate in the fact that You have ascended on high Thank you that you have been crowned and we rejoice in that. That there is nothing in this world that can touch us when you are in control and you are in control. Thank you for that. Give us courage. Grant us your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.